Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, an activist talks about law enforcement profiling and the LGBTQ community. And we'll find out what the folks at Barclays Center are doing for our community with its outreach program. Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Ross Tuttle filling in for Ashley Ford. I know a lot of people are talking about the census, uh, spending a lot of energy on it, a lot of ink, and the addition of the citizenship question in our next one in 2020. People are freaking out, and they should be. By all accounts, the question will depress participation, especially among ethnic minorities and immigrant communities, which is bad for all the reasons that I don't need to restate here. What's worse is that the administration's expressed reason for adding the census, adding the question to the census is pretty much a lie. Again, I refer you to the media accounts that explain that in detail. But here's the thing. There's a real chance the citizenship question won't even make it on the census. Twelve states and counting, including New York, are suing the administration over this. It's unconstitutional, needs the approval of Congress, etc., etc. And the White House, I don't think they actually care. Actually, they might even prefer it that it doesn't make it on the census. But the damage is already being done. The communities the administration wishes to underrepresent were already highly suspicious of this administration. Now I'm guessing they'll trust them even less, meaning depressed participation is almost assured, so mission accomplished. But here's the mad and perhaps unwitting genius of this ploy. Like a lot of things with Trump, it's not a serious proposal. It's simply meant to draw a line between citizens and non-citizens just to vilify the latter. It's also meant to distract us perhaps from other more meaningful issues. But never mind the fact that it preys on the general ignorance of what the census is actually for. And let's be honest, this is probably the most attention most of us have ever paid to it. So when those litigious liberals strike down something that smacks of America first, like the travel ban, the America firsters are going to get worked up. It's called animating the base. It's also called a win-win. The one upside that I can see is that we're getting a civics education as we stand in opposition to this administration. For instance, I never really knew that the ACS, or American Community Survey, our other semi-regular census, already includes a citizenship question, which makes it possible not to include it on the big one. So let's keep learning. Knowing more about how our government works, or doesn't work in this case, is one way to ensure something like this administration never happens again. On the show today, we've been talking about fears of deportation among the immigrant population in the U.S., but there's one community that feels underrepresented even in this conversation, LGBTQ immigrants of color. We'll speak with someone about the perils they face when it comes to law and immigration enforcement. Then, when Barclays Center went up, there was a deal with the city that they'd give back to the community. We'll speak with the Brooklyn Nets rep about some of those efforts. But first, these things. You've probably heard the initials SVU, Special Victims Unit, at least on Law & Order. Given the show's 10,000 consecutive seasons, I'm guessing you've caught an episode here or there. But what about the NYPD's SVD? That's what the unit is actually called. Now they're getting some attention. Not for cracking cases with super deft instincts and aplomb, but because the city's inspector general just came out with a report that the SVD is understaffed and under-resourced, meaning that sex crimes aren't getting the attention they need. To put it in perspective, in 2017, the Adult Sex Crimes Unit Division had 67 detectives working on 5,661 cases, while at Homicide, they had 101 detectives working on just 282 cases. So victims, which feature prominently in those initials, have suffered with unresolved cases and hours-long waits in ERs, hoping investigators will show up. The inspector general had already suggested increasing staff back in 2010. In the latest report, after those suggestions went unheeded, the IG suggested adding 21 more detectives in the Brooklyn squad alone. We'll keep you posted on any developments. 
Now, like SBD, I'm sure this next organization, known by its initials, wouldn't want to be getting the attention they're receiving recently. But something called NXIVM is now in the news. Its leader, Keith Rainier, was just arrested in Mexico, extradited to Texas, and will soon make his way to Brooklyn for arraignment in the Eastern District Federal Court on charges of sex trafficking and sex slavery. Rainier, also known as The Vanguard, no, that doesn't sound like a name of a cult leader or anything, is the co-founder of NXIVM. Am I saying that right? It like, sounds like a Roman numeral. Which is supposed to be a self-help group with opportunities for mentoring. But the federal indictment alleged that the mentoring included joining a slave master club, branding people with a design that included Rainier's initials, again with the initials, and coercion via threats of having personal information released and assets stolen. There were also allegations by women of being forced to have sex with Rainier. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this in the coming weeks and probably seeing it on Law & Order. Yesterday, we talked about State Senator Martin Golden's staffer, Anthony Testaverde, who'd shared Facebook posts comparing Democrats and gun control advocates to Nazis, and how challengers for Golden's Senate seat had called for Testaverde's firing. Well, today we report that Testaverde is, quote, no longer employed by Golden's office, according to a statement. It's not clear if he resigned or was fired. In January, Golden received some other unwanted attention when he said that opioids were no longer just a ghetto drug. According to reports, that seemed to be his way of saying, okay, now it's time to take this epidemic seriously. Coming up, our first guest. Perhaps no community faces more gender-based violence and police profiling than black LGBTQ immigrants. We're not even out of March yet, but so far in 2018, at least seven transgender people have been murdered in this country. Among the organizations fighting back on this issue is the Black LGBTQIA Plus Migrant Project. And here to tell us more is one of the project's co-founders, Audu Kadiri, a longtime community organizer and trans-inclusive advocate. Welcome to 112BK. Thank you. So these are tough times to be an immigrant in the United States, probably to put it mildly perhaps even tougher for the population that you represent. Can, can you tell me about that population, who those people are, and the kinds of things that they're facing? Yeah, actually, uh, the Black LGBTQ uh, Migrant Project, uh, you know, look out for the, le the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender nonconforming, queer, mm -hmm. you know, intersex uh, community. Because uh, right now, in this country, like you rightly pointed out, you know, being black is a big challenge in this country. Now, being black and LGBT, it's double challenge. Mm. Now, imagine being black, LGBT, and immigrant. You know, it's, it's a whole lot of issues that this community is facing right now. Mm. So what prompted you to co-found this organization? What were you seeing in your community? What were people bringing to you? What issues were kind of coming up? Actually, you know, uh, this, this project started as a means of a vacuum that was there, trying to, you know, um, make, make space mm. for the black LGBT uh, immigrants. Now, there's no organization serving this population, mm. as far as I know. And, um, you know, there's no any organization serving this uh, group. And we created this just to, you know, uh, create a community, mm -hmm. to create a community and see to uh, the challenges that we face. Right. You know, how do we address the challenges from, you know, black profiling, LGBTQ, homophobic, you know, uh, tendencies and attitudes, then the hate, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 
against black immigrants. Now, uh, recently, a lot of black uh, LGBTQ immigrants have come into this country because of, you know, the challenges they are facing in their country. Right. You know, uh, most uh, recently, maybe not most recently, in 2014, to be precise, countries like Uganda yeah. and Nigeria, you know, passed laws that criminalize same-sex marriage. Mm. Uh, crimi criminalize just being homosexual. Or? Just being homosexual, yeah. criminalize them, you know. And a lot of these people flee to this country to mm. seek refuge. Right. And they come here, it's hard for them to connect to free legal services. Mm -hmm. they, are being they are being detained, you know. They still face the, the, the kind of, you know, hardship they were running from. Right. So these are the kind of, you know, issues we've been hearing, police brutality, and there's no community to run to. So this exactly what led to, you know, the, the coming together of some of us to say, okay, you know what, we can create a community to try and address some of these issues right. based on our expertise, our connections and experience. Well, there's been a history of LGBTQ community members or individuals being persecuted by the NYPD. I think that's been known. But I wonder nationally if you're perceiving there to have been a change from in this current administration since 20, well, God, how many years has it been? I guess only a year. Well, the change I would say I see is from getting from bad to worse. Mm. You know, um, most recently we've been getting, you know, information from, you know, Texas, uh, California, whereby, you know, uh, black LGBT immigrants who come here to seek asylum are being detained. Mm. You know, how else do you uh, explain that somebody who's coming here for protection is now facing more hardship, mm -hmm. being detained. And detention is not a place you, that is rosy, sure. you know. So imagine the trauma mm -hmm. they'll be going through at, at that point. And we've had cases of people who are seeking asylum, and at the point of interview, they are being detained, mm -hmm. you know. So for me, there's been, you know, uh, going from bad to worse right. since this administration you know. Well, speaking of that detention, I mean, what are some of the conditions, I mean, or, you know, I guess the, the traumas being experienced by transgender individuals in these detention centers? I mean, I imagine for them it's got to be exponentially worse. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worse, like you, like you put it. It's, it's worse because uh, they don't acknowledge that transgender people have rights, you know. Just recently we heard about the president, you know, uh, hitting out on uh, transgender people, saying all sort of things about them not being uh, qualified to be in the military, mm. you know. And that goes down to, you know, even other areas in the schools right now, they've been targeted. Right. They, don't have, they cannot use the same, you know, uh, facility uh, that they are supposed to, they cannot use facilities that, you know, transgender people are supposed to use, right. you know. So this this a lot of uh, challenges, even in the detention, that goes down to the detention centers too. Mm -hmm. A trans woman is not given, you know, her right. Mm -hmm. A trans man is not given his right, and that is not right, mm -hmm. you know. So this needs to be looked into, and I think the government and whoever is uh, in charge needs to understand that these people uh, have rights to, you know, who they want to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah.
Well, and I'm sure you followed the news recently. This isn't necessarily just a, a trans, you know, an LGBTQ plus issue, but the news today um, that Liberia's uh, temporary protected status was revoked. That was a DED. Or, right, their DED, um, which DED stands for their deferred, um, their deferred enforcement or de uh, deportation, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know how what how you your organization has had to respond to that, or if you're you know you're getting a lot of people coming to you saying, okay, what do we do now? How can we protect ourselves? What can we do to advocate for these individuals? Yeah, you know, um, I work with aside being part of uh, the BLMP, mm -hmm. I work with African communities together right. as a community organizer, and this is one of the issues we've been you know uh, advocating for for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And when we heard recently, just was it yesterday? I think it was yeah, within the past twenty four hours. Yeah, you know, it it came out that you know uh, DED was ended, mm -hmm. and um, they were given one year. Right. To, be, to still be in status, but that is that was that is not enough. Even mm -hmm. this one year was as a result of our advocacy, mm -hmm. my organization, that's African Communities Together, to ensure right. that you don't just take take away you know status from people who've been here for close to twenty years. Right. So what happens to them all of a sudden? Where do you where do you want them to go back to? They have right. children in this country. Right. Do you want to you know uh, separate them from their children? So we put out a. Uh, uh, you know, a response to that. Mm -hmm. African communities together, we did that because we have a lot of members who are recipients of this uh, relief, you mm -hmm. know, and this is an immigration relief that a lot of our members have enjoyed. So it's even that itself is a devastation within the right. community. Right. Yeah. And I guess that takes us back, I mean, again, looking at more at the community and the immigrant population more broadly, um, which you are working with and serving with your other organization. What are, you, what are you sensing from people? I mean, is there a climate of, of real, f genuine fear, like that any day somebody will come knocking at their door? Yeah, there's a genuine fear, you know, because one of the services we provide at African Communities Together is, uh, and actually African Communities Together is a partner with BLMP. Mm -hmm. You know, one of those things we do is connect people to uh, free legal services, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, presently we've been going to detention centers to uh, uh, represent LGBT pe LGBTQ people, you know, and the genuine fear that you mentioned, it's, it's, it's very genuine. And we've had cases of people, like I said earlier, being detained at the asylum interview, LGBTQ people being detained uh, at the detention center for just, you know, uh, coming here to seek asylum. And we've seen a lot of cases of deportation. Right. Well, there is really a well-founded fear, I mean, which yes. is what's required for asylum in this country. But there, yeah. if you're leaving a country that, that criminalizes, you know, any LGBTQ status, mm -hmm. that, you know, coming here would be a refuge, you would hope. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the case right it, now. That seems that's that's not the case right now because the, the fears are, be com are being compounded. Mm. Yeah. You know, this started... Uh, right from when this new administration came in, you know, there was a lot of fears within the LGBTQ community, within the African community generally. There was a lot of fear, mm -hmm. you know, because of the kind of services we provide. We get a lot of calls. We get a lot of, you know, uh, calls, and people come to our office to mm -hmm. like, what's going to happen? I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. I can't even walk freely on the street. Wow. What's going to happen? Mm -hmm. You know. But what we did at that time was to try to develop. Uh, a short training, you know, a know your right training for mm -hmm. different communities and how to be safe. So we just had a lawyer on the show who came on the show to talk about dreamers and the, the you know, 
not insignificant challenges they're facing um, to deal with their status. Um, but can you talk about sort of the heightened challenges for the community that you, you know, you work with, the LGBTQ plus community, and ensuring that they can, can live here comfortably and, and happily? Yeah, um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, uh, coming here as LGBTQ uh, person and facing challenges with the, I mean, back home, coming here, it's hard for black LGBT person to, to, to connect to lawyers, to pro bono lawyers. These are people who left home without anything. These are people who left all they've worked for, all they've labored for to come seek refuge. And they come here, there, there are no resources. As an asylee in this country, you don't have any resources. As a refugee, you come here, you already have a status. But as an asylee, coming through the border, it's a challenge. Even being in the country, it's hard to get a lawyer, like I said. So what we are doing to ensure that people are safe and they have, they have uh, you know, access to services is, one, connecting people to, to pro bono lawyers. Mm -hmm. We do that at ACT. Mm -hmm. We've, we've connected a lot of people. We Africa, Africa. African communities mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. we've, we've been to detention centers to represent LGBTQ people. And um, we try also to ensure that people get the right information mm -hmm. so that to keep them safe, you know, mm -hmm. trying to break this isolation because people are still traumatized coming from mm -hmm. Africa or wherever that, is, that we have homophobic laws. Mm -hmm. They still come here traumatized. So how do we ensure that they get the right resources? How do we ensure that they get the right, you know, community to help them, you know, fit in? So that is why uh, BLMP was, um, you know, uh, created. And right now, because we are not yet registered, it's a, it's a pretty new organization. So Transgender Law Center is our, is a, like, it's incubating us. I see. They help us manage our finances okay. and, you know, okay. uh, operations. Well, um, well, just in the 10 seconds we have left, if somebody who's tuning into this wants to get in touch with um, your organization, What's the best way to reach out? Yeah, we have a we have a uh, we have a space on TLC's uh, website as Transgender Law, Law Center. Center. Mm -hmm. We have a space on their website, and we have a Facebook uh, we have a, a Facebook page mm -hmm. BLMP. Uh, that's black. Yeah, we have a BLMP Facebook page. That's Black LGBT Migrant Project uh, Facebook page. Okay, great. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on and, and help to shed some light on this. Um, I guess issue that maybe is a little bit underrepresented in the media today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. When construction of the Barclays Center won approval as part of the larger controversial Atlantic Yards development, it was far from a universally supported decision. Understanding that many Brooklynites opposed it, the city government placed some conditions on the developer and the occupants. There was a requirement for the construction of affordable housing, for example, union jobs for locals, and community outreach. Our next guest is going to tell us about the last one, what the Brooklyn Nets are doing to be good citizens on and off the court. He's the vice president of marketing for Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment, the management arm of the Nets. Welcome to the show, Marcus Minifi. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks. Pleasure being here. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you here. You're our neighbor. I'm surprised That's we didn't true. Have you sooner. But I know we should have met way before now, right? Exactly. We'll have you back. We'll definitely have you back. So, you've got. Um, I understand you've got two decades of experience with the NBA. Um, how did you kind of wend your way to Brooklyn? Well, yeah, I've been blessed to work with some great companies and brands in, in my past. I'm 
from Chicago originally, but I've been in Brooklyn for almost 12 years now. I worked for the Chicago Bulls for about seven years. And you said off-camera during the heyday? Yeah, during the heyday. I worked for Kraft Foods. Uh, I worked for uh, Pepsi. It's what oh. kind of brought me out this way. Okay. Um, I met my wife, and we moved out here eventually mm-hmm. uh, from Chicago. I uh, worked for Adidas and, and for Samsung, and now I'm with the with the Brooklyn Nets. So it's uh, it's kind of a full circle to kind of get back into team marketing, and uh-huh. but I'm excited to be back into the sport. So tell me, what's your primary role with the Nets as it relates to well, what your primary role is? Primary role is I'm sure relating to community outreach. Sure. So I'm uh, the vice president of team marketing and community relations. So mm-hmm. uh, I oversee uh, brand strategy, marketing, communication, and our brand activation as it relates to. The Brooklyn Nets, um, the New York Islanders, and the Long Island Nets, which is our G League affiliate that that's, uh, plays out at uh, NYCB Live mm-hmm. um, out in Long Island. And I also oversee our community relations efforts uh, for the teams as well. So uh, uh-huh. it's very exciting. I'm glad we're here to talk about community. When I found out, and I've been with the company with Brooklyn Sports Entertainment for a little over five months now, mm-hmm. and when I found out that uh, the community group was kind of uh, something that I would be able to kind of shape and guide. I was extremely excited about it. So. Right. Great. Well, I mean, you spoke of the Islanders who may not be in this space for very long. <laughs> that's right? true. Yeah. That's, there's, um, there's lots of high-level discussions that's being had uh-huh. way over my pay grade right. of kind of how that's going to play out. Right. Um, you know, we're glad that they're here now and that, um, that they're playing with us, but um, you just never know what's going to happen in the future. Right. right. Well, so um, I know it's often a part of pro teams kind of um, – Activities either off season or even during the season to be involved with the community. Sure, um, but this is but what you're working on is kind of beyond like just the NBA cares. Which if you're watching a pro game, you'll see a PSA for right. or something like that. Do you, I mean do you work with NBA cares? But do you and what do you do beyond that? Yeah, so we do have um, NBA platforms that we look to uh, customize and expand specifically for the for the Brooklyn community. Uh, but we also look for very unique opportunities that kind of are more connected with our with our fan base as well. And uh, one of which um, that we work very closely, we've done um, just recently kind of our second inaugural uh, Pride Night, mm. uh, where we connect and celebrate uh, the LGBTQ community. Uh, we had a former player on our team named Jason Collins, of uh, who was the first um, kind of professional um, player, openly gay player, to kind of um, explain his orientation to the world across all the four major sports in North America. Right. Um, so yeah, we, it was a huge moment. Yeah, it was a huge moment in the sport. It just never right. been done. It was a lot of things that always have been in the closet, so to speak. Right. So for him to come out took a lot of uh, courage for him to do. Yeah. And so we wanted to make sure that we recognize that and mm-hmm. uh, we had him for um, a pregame uh, panel uh, reception. We also had other panelists there, mm-hmm. and uh, we just discussed kind of the convergence between, um, you know, the, those type of issues and right. sport, and uh, it was a great, great uh, event. I mean, speaking of a community outreach in the NBA and the NBA's place in that, I know the NBA, more than other major sports leagues, have been, has been more vocal, and teams have been more vocal. I mean, you saw it was what I don't know, it was this week or last week with the, the shooting of the unarmed um, black man in Sacramento mm-hmm. and the way that the Sacramento Kings responded to that and some of the players and, and former players like DeMarcus Cousins who said he was going to pay for the funeral yes. of the young man and right. you know these issues and policing issues yeah. and Black Lives Matter is a huge yeah. thing in Brooklyn I wonder how you're intersecting with that and, and your role yeah well we applaud the NBA for for kind of being a leader amongst all the professional sports teams and kind of being um, on the on the the forefront 
end of a lot of those issues. And I think they recognize, and we also recognize, that the a lot of the NBA players come from these communities. So you have to support these communities in a way to make sure. And from a Brooklyn perspective, with the Nets, we know that um, Brooklyn is a very diverse borough. And we want to always celebrate diversity and inclusion because that's really what Brooklyn stands for. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that we try to portray that um, on and off the court. Right. Well, so here's a tough question because I know the Nets haven't had, you know, very many great seasons in the past few years. Yep. Um, a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that hamper your ability to have players kind of connect to the community and feel kind of um, integrated into it in a way that they feel like, oh, I know this place. I, I know how and where to make an impact. Yeah, and that's a great um, question. And I think, but it's actually a very simple one because uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we can't, you know, being in the front office working on the business side, on the marketing side, we can't control the wins and losses that take place on the court. But what I always tell my team is that the two things that we can control is kind of the consistency of our marketing message mm -hmm. and what we do in the community. Mm -hmm. Those two things we actually have physical control over to, to orchestrate and sure. to try to get done. So what we do in the community and how we helped try to help build and create um, connections, meaningful connections in the community is something that we definitely can do. Right. And, and the players have been awesome. I mean, they have really... Um, stepped up and anything we've asked from them, um, they've been willing to do as long as they're not on the road right. um, to kind of help us with. Um, so that's something, and it's a platform of me being there just a short time. It's something that I really want to continue to expand. Right. So you can't make any recommendations, being like, you got to trade for this guy, or no, we got to do this. No, no. So we have, <laughs> you wins. know, so we have Sean Marks, who's our general manager, who we're, we're very excited about and happy with, who's been here now for a couple of years, and, and Coach Kenny Atkinson. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they've done a great job with a very kind of young, core group of guys um, and they're looking to expand and I think so really the player development story is something that I think people if you follow the Brooklyn Nets you'll see like our brand mantra is, is called we go hard uh, mm -hmm. and so it means that we're always going to fight we have Brooklyn grit right. and we're going to go after it every night and regardless of who we're playing against and I think if you look at how they played this year and so we're actually coming up on the end of the season uh, they fought very hard they haven't been on the plus side of a lot of those but they've been in a lot of games very close they've, they've been uh, one of the teams that have played in the most games five decided by five points or less right. in the NBA so they, they're always fighting every night and there's a bright future there too so, so there's no tanking going on there's no tanking we're, we're um, our general manager said in the beginning that we're we're here to compete right. and we're, we're here to go hard every night one of the things I've watched and I've tried to pay some attention to is that the the Nets have a Brooklyn-born player? Uh, maybe he's in, he's in the development league right now. Isaiah Whitehead. Yes, Isaiah Whitehead. Yes. And I wonder how that helps. And you know, he, he's shown some promise actually in some of the the NBA games he's played. He has, in. and yeah. also in the G League as right. well. Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder, does it help to have a, a local on the team help help with your mission? Well, you know, it's interesting because we've had a couple of focus groups. This is just you know totally on the side, and we've asked people. You know, you know, why are you? Why do you love the team, or why are you part of it? And they, one, they just love the grit. They love the team. But some people say, "Hey, one guy actually said, hey, I grew up with the guy, mm -hmm. and I'm always going to support him, whoever he is.' Right. So it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. um, but I think overall, you know, it's the you know the the, the team and and what we try to portray and, and the product on the court that's eventually going to grow the fan base overall. But lo with local players, definitely doesn't hurt. Right, and a local yeah. player then who can help you with some of the community outreach, perhaps who knows the neighborhoods, who knows the borough. Yeah, he's from um, Coney Island area. Mm -hmm. uh, went to 
Lincoln High School. Okay. So yeah, you know, he's done things down in the community that, you know, neighborhoods that he's very familiar with. And we've actually helped support him in the past and things that he's done down there and will continue to as long as he's with the team. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so definitely it does not hurt at all. Great. Well, Marcus, it's so great having you on the show and coming yeah. in to talk about the Nets. And we'll hope to have you back on in the future yeah. when you guys have other initiatives um, or, you know, there are other, other um, uh, other developments with the team. Yeah, yeah. We're, thank you so much. Really excited. I think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of things that we want to continue to push and because we really want to create a very strong connection. So this summer we're going to be doing some very fun things. Right. Um, yeah. We're going to continue to expand our, our summer um, through the Nets Basketball Academy, our summer camps and, mm -hmm. and free clinics and look to really connect and hopefully have a, a strong conversation in Brooklyn basketball this summer and tie in with, with local mm -hmm. basketball tournaments. And we're actually hosting our own basketball tournament in June at Brooklyn Bridge Park. Mm -hmm. um, so, and we're going to tie in with local street festivals and block parties. So we're very right. excited. So we're in the middle, midst of those plans right now for the summer. Right. But it's all about, you know, giving back and, and actually trying to make the lives better for people that are a part of our community and, 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 and support um, the Brooklyn Nets and the borough as a whole. So we're okay. very excited. Great. I'm glad you added those details because I meant to and I was supposed to ask you about them. Of so course. I appreciate yeah. you including them. <laughs> thanks again. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in on the show. Uh, tomorrow we'll have a conversation with Assistant Commissioner at the Department of Transportation joining us to talk about Vision Zero and how the city plans to cut down even further on horrific accidents. Plus, some folks who participated in the March for Our Lives will tell us what they saw and heard. Hope you can join us. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Seaford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Hagasak, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. <laughs>